This episode of Ragcast Outdoors is brought to you by PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Fish on! Hey, Radcast is on! Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. This is Radcast Outdoors. Here are David Merrill and Patrick Edwards. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Radcast Outdoors. I'm Patrick Edwards. And I'm David Merrill. How's it going, man? First time I've seen you in a while. <laughs> It's going really good. I mean, it's been a it's been a whirlwind of a summer for sure. Having been on the road, all of it is it's a little brutal, taxing. The uh, the farm chores are way behind for sure. But, but you're home. I am home, and I'm home for a while actually. Well, sort of. I was gonna say you're home, but we're gonna talk about on the podcast today that you're getting ready for hunting. So we're gonna talk about hunting prep on this episode it, because it is, hunting is right around the corner. It's that time of season. It's that time of year. There's guys leaving on antelope hunts. It we are we are here. It is time. It's been interesting to watch the weather pattern over the last week or so because it's felt very much like fall. I've even heard flocks of geese flying over, which makes me nervous about an early early fall and winter. But either way, it's coming. And that means that hunting season is upon us and we have to get ready for that. So we thought we'd talk a little bit about hunting prep with all of our guests and we'll take you on the on the journey with us and, and just kind of talk about some of the essential things that you have to think about, you have to plan for in order to be ready for that fall hunt. So David's going to kick us off with Well, that's the first one. one. Number one is planning, right? If you don't have a game plan, you haven't planned it out, you're already setting yourself up for failure. Now... I can't remember the exact vernacular from Africa, but basically they have a saying in Afrikaans that's make the plan, work the plan, <laughs> plan doesn't work, make a new plan, work the plan, right? And so depending on, and we could go down a rabbit hole for 10 hours about fall hunting prep and species specific, but I'm going to stay really high level and just kind of generic, but we'll get, we'll get pretty specific in some of those details. And off the top of my head, the first thing is, is, you got to make a plan. So where are you going? How are you going to get there? What are you doing? What is the goal of where you're going, right? If it's just, I'm going out rabbit hunting for the afternoon. Great. That's fine. But you've got to put some parameters on why are we doing this? Where are we going? Are we filming a hunt, right? That's a whole nother level. We've had Joe Bartlett on here and talk about, are you taking a cameraman? Are you going to capture and record this? Because you can't just show up the day in the field and go, oh, this is what I want to do today. To stay kind of generic, you know, general season, deer, elk, whether you're whitetail, mule deer, elk hunting, these are going to apply across the board. First one I can think of is kind of journey management, right? How many guys plan on going out for an afternoon, don't tell anybody they're going somewhere, and they have vehicle body some sort of breakdown and then it's search and rescue is like hey we're looking for this guy they're overdue so the first one is and if you are a solo guy the best thing to do is i've heard people say don't leave a note people can break into your car if you're worried about people breaking into your car don't leave anything in value right but if you are going to be solo the the best thing to do for search and rescue is leave a note on your dash of you know, your intended return day and, hey, I left this trailhead, right? You don't have to give GPS coordinates of exactly where you went, but at least when spouse, girlfriend, neighbor, parents freak out that, hey, this person isn't returned, if there's a note saying, hey, I'm not going to be back for two more days, 
you know, that's pretty simple. But journey management of at least having some sort of trigger set up to where if you don't return on time, somebody is going to know to start looking for you. And you've had a personal yeah. experience with that. So Yeah, I was going to say that the best thing to do is make sure that someone knows where you are, um, that they know when you intend to come home. And if you haven't returned by a certain time, what to do? Because, yeah, we had that happen with a family member of mine, and I had to guess between three different locations where he could have been. Luckily, we picked the right one first or he would have died. So it does make a big difference Um, make sure you let someone know. I always say let more than one person know because something may happen to the person that you said, (laughs) Hey, I'm going to go up above Pinedale and I'm going to hunt. And that person may have something happen where they're not paying attention to it either. So it's good to just communicate well where you are just because things do happen. The unexpected happens. I know both of us have had experiences where you're going on one of these big trips and you have a vehicle issue or, you know, somebody hurts themselves. One of those things can and will happen at some point. So you need to have a plan. Nine out of 10 times, it's something benign, generic. It's a flat tire. But for the one out of 10 times, having at least a fallback emergency, somebody's going to send the cavalry. It's a good, good option. So even if you're going out for an afternoon duck hunting, walleye fishing, uh, rabbit hunting, you know, leave, hey, I'm going out this afternoon, I should be home this evening, and I'm going in this general place. That takes me right to the second one is, and this comes from experience, I, uh, 2010, went on a float trip, the pilot split us, our group up, midweek, and never returned. I didn't have any communication, I was in the middle of Alaska with no cell service if there if you even had a cell phone. Uh, we had rented a sat phone, you know, had planned and prepared for this eventuality. However, I left the sat phone with the two people at, at Camp A while the pilot moved me to Camp B. And the communication with the pilot was he was going to move the rest of camp that evening. I spent two and a half days at that camp with zero communication. When the game and fish plane blew over and uh, waved the wings of the plane at me, and I... It was low enough I could tell it was a female pilot, and I just kind of waved at my little from my little campfire. But deep down inside, you know, this is day two and a half of nobody showing up, and I'm just on emergency rations at this point. Going, should I be? You had a wave of this person down and asking for a flight out of here. Lo and behold, the pilot flew in the next day with a completely unrelated party, and uh, long story short, had told the other group he was overbooked and out of time, and he couldn't fly him out to me. So wasn't cool by any means. From that trip on, I've always had a personal locator beacon. Uh, They've gotten really cheap, really cool. I have two now. I have a true personal locator beacon. It's you pull the top of it off, you pull out a three foot antenna and it sends out a NOAA beacon that, hey, this person needs help. Now it's a dumb one, right? It just is beeping. It's a locator beacon. I have a smart one. It's a Garmin spot in reach kind of thing. It pairs Bluetooth to my phone. I packed both of these in the woods with me. Now, why? If you have one, you have none. If you have two, you have one, right? My spot pretty much relies on my phone working. Now, it has an internal battery and an SOS mode, but I like having two options. So for the guys that are doing more adventure-style hunting, the cool thing with my Garmin is I can text you, Patrick. Mm -hmm. I can send you messages from wherever. And yes, we are going there to get away from communication and to unplug. But you got to think about these things. If somebody has a catastrophic medical emergency, 
being able to get the cavalry coming instantly versus I'm going to hike to the trailhead, go get cell service and then call search and rescue. And then they're going to hike in and determine that, yes, we are going to call the, the helicopter. That can be hours, if not days before you get a helicopter above you versus, you know, heaven forbid something catastrophic does happen. You can hit that button. And I don't know exactly how long, but it, it'll be less than hours before a helicopter's flying overhead. Yeah, and that dovetails into the next thing you need to think about, which is a first aid kit. And I suggest first aid training as well because it's, 100%. it doesn't do you any good if you <laughs> have a first aid kit, but you don't know how to do anything with the things that come with the first aid kit. So if you don't know how to you know, put a splint on a broken arm or leg or something like that, or if just basic bandages and wrappings, you know, that's important. And you need to know how to clean a wound also. I a hundred percent agree. First aid training, first aid knowledge, first aid kit, but everybody needs to remember first aid is the first step in aid. It's not the last step, right? Yeah. That doesn't mean that, oh, we go back on and continue the hunt. No, this is get the person stable, comfortable, and then you can move on to second aid, right? That's why it's called first aid. So, you know, thinking along those lines of first aid, 100% get some training, definitely pack a small first aid kit of some kind. Aspirin's always a great thing to have, some sort of bandages, learning how to run a splint. And it, my mind goes to a spring bear hunt circa 2006 or seven. We were in there with horses and run into a hiker who was freaking out because his buddy was stuck on the other side of a stream that had swollen with a whole bunch of seasonal spring rain, but you have all that snow melt up high in the mountains. What are, what are the creeks going to do? They're going to swell. We got like two heavy days of rain and they had gone up hiking, crossed a ankle deep stream, come back and it's waist deep. They tried to use paracord and pulley to zip their backpacks across the creek so they didn't have to wear them. Well, the paracord broke in the middle of the stream and washed one backpack down and gone. So this guy's freaking out and saying, we need search and rescue. We need, search, we need help. Right. And we talked to him a little bit. What's going on? What's wrong with your buddy? Cause I mean, we got horses. We'll, we'll ride right up there in 15 minutes. Well, he's stuck on the other side of the Creek. Well, is he injured? No. Does he have a raincoat? Yes. Did he eat today? Yes. Does he have water? Yeah. Okay. So we're now no longer in a life or death emergency. We have a stranded person, right? And so levels of communication, but it, it ended up that while this guy was down at the trailhead freaking out, somebody who was shed hunting had rode out and rode up to the creek and the guy's like, hey, can I bum a ride across this creek on the back of one of those horses? And he ended up walking out an hour later. Great, great ending to the story, but that goes to the next point of you got to keep your wits about you. That's the most important tool. You can have the locator beacon. You can have the best first aid kit with lidocaine and sutures. And, you know, I, I go hunting with people that are licensed to, to use that stuff and are trained to use that. That's not my backup, man. My backup is cut towards your buddy, not towards your body when you're using a knife, right? Don't, if it's, if it's sketchy cliff, just don't go stand out on the edge of it because you're going to fall off of it. Right. Yeah, it's it's cool, but you got to think of some of those things, right? Using common sense. <clears throat> yeah, that's probably the most notable thing you can put in your pocket is if you don't need to take the risk, don't do it. Right. Like it's just like with cleaning an animal. You know, if, if, if you're making a cut, make a smart cut. Don't make a dumb cut. We've all made the dumb cuts, by the way, where we've cut ourselves to some degree. But you learn really quickly that it's like that was a dumb cut. <laughs> I shouldn't do that again. So in that same fall hunting prep safety, 
bullets and broadheads are meant to harvest animals. If you put them in your body, it's going to be a bad deal. So do everything you can to mitigate. And uh, I'm going to go pretty dark. I mean, every year somebody has an accidental discharge with a firearm and it ends up in a fatality. And it's, it's happened here recently and it's sad when it hears about it, right? And it's as simple as firearms in and out of vehicles, firearms in and over fences, firearms up and down cliffs, in and out of horses, unload and double check they're unloaded. And it's even happened within my own hunting party that we've had an accidental discharge. Thank goodness firearms were pointed in safe directions, right? But that leads me to broadheads. Those things are sharp and meant to cut and you have a... Th- 28, 39, or 30, 29, 30 inch stick with a three or a four blade sharp scalpel on the front of it. Put that thing in its quiver until it's time to use it. I I cannot tell you how many times I have gone running through the woods with an arrow knocked up and anymore, it, it only takes a second to clip an arrow on the string. It takes a second to unclip it. If we're going to move positions, you know, it, it may someday cost me an animal because well, the next film that's getting ready to launch, the rifle goes click because it was unloaded. And that's a good thing, right? I'm okay with that. Uh, a missed fired because a gun was empty when you thought it was loaded is a lot better than a discharge because you thought a, a firearm was loaded when it was empty. So we've got a picture of, you know, a, a good dear friend of mine. We were out hunting and we had a broadhead incident. I've had more than one or two. And with broadheads, it isn't. If you get cut, it's when and how bad. You shove one of those through your calf, you're not hiking six miles back out. You hit an artery in your leg with one of those, and we're not talking it's got to shoot out of a bow across the field. No, we're talking you have one out and you trip over a log and fall on your own arrow. You can very quickly cut the wrong artery in a leg or a hand or an arm, and you can be in a life or death situation. I mean, I heard a story of a guy with sharpening broadheads in his house slipped and stuck it in his leg and there was blood running down the steps of the front of his house he called his neighbor and and had almost passed out and tried to tourniquet it himself so he lived but back to knives bullets and broadheads they do their job but we got to pay attention and you got to be smart about it so definitely guys when you're out there this fall muzzles in safe directions if you're not actively shooting your bow put put the arrows in the quiver that goes back to another thing is make sure you know what you're shooting at too So if you are going to take a shot at an animal, make sure you know that that is, in fact, the animal that you're supposed to be taking, one. And two, what's behind it? What's in front of it? Because every season this happens, you know, hunters get shot in the field because somebody thinks, oh, well, I hear a bugle in the trees. It must be a big bull elk. Well, it might be another hunter blowing a bugle or people shoot multiple animals you know they'll they'll shoot into a group you know into a herd situation then you've got multiple dead animals on the ground that's not what we want to be doing as hunters we want a good clean ethical harvest and it can get really bad it's like john de said when he came on our podcast you know mistakes happen things are going to happen but the best thing you can do is let the game warden know you know so that's the other thing about the ethics part of it is if you do make a mistake out there you need to let someone know immediately don't try to hide it because it will it will get back to you but you know we talked about something a little bit earlier on the planning side that i think we need to circle back to real quick and that's when you get your tags and you're researching your area you need to make sure you're actually in the area you belong in before you start hunting make sure season's open make sure you have the right tag for the right area you're hunting the right species that is one of the most common infractions is 
wrong unit closed season, right? And yes, it's a little bit confusing. You have to do some homework. You can't just, it's fishing isn't as difficult, but there's still closed seasons for fishing, right? You need to know what body of water you're in. You need to know what unit you're in, where your tag is, is it season? And it's, I will say to, to Wyoming's I think this is part of why they're good at managing game is because they have the state so divided up. But most other states, Area 100 is Area 100 for deer, elk, antelope. In this state, no, it's they're all three different numbers and you need to almost have a degree sometimes to really research because <laughs> somebody will be talking about, you might hear somebody, oh, well, I was up at Area 100 chasing and, and you think it's open. Yeah, it's open for antelope, not elk. And Area 100 is different for elk and antelope. Alaska is not that way, right? You have Unit 25 and then you have these species within Unit 25. When I first moved there, it took me forever to learn the regs. I thought it was difficult and then I moved to Wyoming and I found out how difficult <laughs> regs really are, right? So definitely, is it season? Do you have a tag? You know, what are shooting hours? You know, these are all things you need to, this is part of that planning phase. Yeah. Whatever state you're in, you need to read the regulations. It doesn't matter, matter whether you're hunting or fishing or whatever. You need to know what's going on. You need to know what you're supposed to be doing. The other thing I was thinking about with this is also understand where you can travel in and out of those areas, because some of them are private land and sometimes you have to get permission to cross to get into these places. So that's where tools like Onyx are really helpful, but just make sure you know what you're doing. Cause you don't, you don't want to drive across someone's land, make them upset. So just do that planning, you know, look at it, see where the entry and exit points are. And when you're planning for that, you might have to plan to ford a stream, a river. So you might want to be watching the weather. You might want to be, you know, just having a good idea of what you might be up against. I will say that Onyx makes me a little frustrated. Sometimes I use it. I have the premium. I have marks all over the the globe now. And my goal is to get one on every continent. But pre-Onyx, I, here in Wyoming, I had you know, the printed Atlas state map and found a square of state property that you had to cross a river to hunt. Now there was access on one side of public access on one side of this river. There was no public access on the other side of the river, but there was a one square state section of public land. So if you accessed it from, you know, side A, crossed, forded the river, you could hunt side B as long as you stayed inside that. Well, the game we're using that square state section as kind of just a a rest area right the fields all around it were their feeding grounds but they were bedding and resting and and so it was a great we we harvested three deer in like two and a half days on that one square mile and it was a lot of deer we had planned ahead and took a game cart a two-wheeled game cart and the river was knee deep so we'd shoot a deer load it on the game cart pull it across the river and Mm -hmm. it was awesome but you had to do some research and some work to find that. Now Onyx just basically like neon <laughs> lights. Hey, look, go there. It's like, oh, that's pretty easy to. So yeah. the excuse with Onyx, and it works both ways because you will have landowners, and I've had landowners in this state get cross with me and say I'm not in the right place. And you pull out your phone and go, well, let's look at Onyx right here, and let's on the, and they it deflates the argument, and they go, oh, you got that map app, don't you? Yes, I do. I know exactly where I'm standing. I know where I can be and can't be. And you, I, I have seen landowners put posted signs a quarter mile away from their property on public land, right? And trying to trick 
the general public into. And I wish we could prosecute those landowners the same that they're prosecuting us for trespassing, right? Because, you know, they're putting, now I get it. They don't want people driving down that two track where it eventually does turn into private property, but on the line, they should be putting up cable gate signs, not quarter mile up the hill where you could access some great ground. So definitely know where you stand. Get a, get If you're not going to do Onyx base maps, at least have some map and compass orienteering skills and know <laughs> where you can and can't be. And, and that said, you can, you can camp on BLM and Forest Service. You cannot camp on state ground. Right. So just don't just because it's public land, there's different rules for each how long you can stay, how big a group you can have. So once you've figured out where you're going, what you're hunting, you know, you need to plan. And that's back to that planning phase. Are we taking horses? Are we taking four wheelers? Are we going in on foot? Okay, if we harvest something, how are we getting it out? And that brings us to meat field prep care, right? We've talked about it on the podcast, we've hammered it, but I'm going to cover it real quick. Elk mid-September in the high mountains, you hang it next to a creek in the trees, you got a day or two before you really got to get it into cold storage. Antelope down here in the desert, you don't have a day, you don't have half a day. You probably ought to just take a big cooler with ice. If you really want good antelope meat, take a big cooler with ice. Do it on the spot. Do it on the spot. So the next level is if you're in November elk hunting rifle cow elk hunting i i don't need a cooler i mean your cow elk <laughs> by the time we got it to the truck it was frozen it was frozen mm. we had it in gay bags we threw it in the back of the truck we drove down here and we put it at your house right but there's no cons- there's no longer any concern of field prep you know cold storage it was already in cold storage but to your point we had to plan our gear accordingly for that day because we were hunting in a blizzard mm-hmm. and so i mean it was cold it was windy it, was it started nasty. out nice started out great it started out really nice true wyoming weather and true wyoming fashion it turned on a dime and guess what it was cold and nasty and we had to we had to adjust but we were ready for it so that's that leads me into the contingency planning right i don't go anywhere without my ultralight rain jacket, my ultralight insulation down puffy coat, right? Why? Half a dozen times I've spent the night unintentionally out in the woods, but having a little bit of extra food, extra water, my first aid kit, having something to start a fire with, and having some extra clothes above and beyond what you would, if you're just going for a two-hour quick hike up Sinks Canyon, right? You're going to take a light jacket and be done. Yeah. When I go out anymore i just take puffy pant puffy coat raincoat rain pant and if i have to i'll sit under a tree and go to sleep and if i get too cold i'll start me a small fire and i'll come out in the morning hopefully journey management will have not kicked in that fast right but hopefully the guys at camp know hey he was up this drainage he was supposed to be back he's not back we're gonna at least go trailhead and if he's not there we are now going to go in engage search and rescue so i mean there's a myriad of things there guys i mean we've, we've unpacked quite a bit already mm-hmm we won't get too specific on gear, but I really, you got to have a sharp knife, right? If you didn't, if you got done doing whatever chore you did last fall with your knife and you put it away, you put it in the sheath, you put it in your backpack, pull it out right now, double check it sharp, oil it, put it away. And the same thing with the rest of your gear. Yep. You know, I've kudos to one guy that I'm coaching back into archery. He's, he's had a bow. He's been here the, 
been here at the Bow Spider headquarters the last couple of weeks, in and out. And he's he come over and goes, hey, will Bow Spider work on this old bow I have? And I mean, it's an old one. It's a goodie, but it's an oldie. And I told him, I said, frankly, yes, it will. But however, we're talking circa 1995 bow here. And I explained to him and let him shoot some of the newer bows. And I'm like, you're you're 100% fine to shoot that bow. And it it's harvested a lot of elk and it will continue if you want to. But I coached him and talked to him about horizontal limbs versus vertical limbs and grip angles and cam size and how technology has just made bows more efficient. And he went out and bought a used circa 2010 bow from his 1995 bow. And he went from potentially lethal at 20 yards to potentially lethal at 40 yards in one day. Yep. And so him and I have discussed it. I'm like, with where your arrow flights out, you could go elk hunt in Wyoming legally this fall. I said, my advice, why don't you take the next 365 days, shoot an arrow every day, get to where you know your equipment inside and out, get very proficient with it and go elk hunt next fall. And he's already committed. He's like, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm going to go do a rifle elk hunt later in the year. I'm going to shoot my bow every day. And he's been shooting every day already. Mm -hmm. And that's the next level of, I don't care what your piece of equipment is. You need to make sure it's sighted in on target you're lethal and you know how to function it and you know we've had shireen her first year deer hunting that was on here she discussed it you need to go do a little bit of practice yep and i think that you know a lot of people wait too long to do that practice they do it the day before the hunt or the week before really you should be practicing several times before you go out with your rifle just to make sure you're zeroed in make sure everything's working the way it should be and maybe you haven't cleaned your gun so maybe it's time to Get out that cleaning kit, <laughs> clean it up, get some of that residue out of there because it will perform better. And it is important, though, to send several rounds downrange, especially if you're new, because your body does things when you start seeing an animal through your scope, believe me. Yes. And that's having a base knowledge of how your weapon works and being familiar with it is really going to help mitigate some of those missing circumstances you know in that heat of the moment so agreed and the other thing is is if you're doing a mid to late season hunt your rifle does need to be clean and lightly oiled or you're going to have action start gumming up freezing up not functioning properly so get your optics clean as far as optics i actually looked up how professional camera guys clean their optics and pretty simple. I don't take a cloth and just scrub against the glass, right? I take 90% alcohol and you can't hardly get it anymore. It's all 70%. So you got to go buy the high dollar rubbing alcohol. I pour it on the lens itself and let that alcohol actually lift the dirt. And then I pour the dirt off with the alcohol and then I get, you know, soft cotton. And then I clean after I've removed the sand. So if you just grab a cleaning cloth, Oh, my, my lens is dirty. It just start circling around. You're lightly sanding and cutting into the coatings on that glass. And if your glass is clean, it's going to fog less. It's going to get less moisture dew on it and it's going to function better. So clean optics with no dust and sand and is a good idea, especially start of the hunt. I cringe every time I see somebody take those cloths. I went and bought a very expensive makeup brush. So after I do the rubbing alcohol, I actually use the brush and brush, you know, just like a paleontologist would with the bones on it. And I just brush it and then I'll go through and wipe it clean. But I've removed all that debris. To, your optics are going to last a lot longer if you take a little bit longer to prep. Same thing with your boots. 
Don't yeah. buy brand new boots. <laughs> oh, my boots are wore out from last year. I'm going to go get new boots today for the hunt I'm going on. I, I cringed. I cringed. That might be the number one mistake most hunters make is buying new boots right before the season, before they're broken in, and then they break their feet. <laughs> like literally your feet will... <laughs> So do all kinds of nasty things if you want, you know, big old blisters and blood coming off of your feet, do that. But the, the best thing to do is about a month to two months before the season, get your new boots and then go put some miles in. Get adjusted with weight. to them. Miles yeah. with weight. Get adjusted to them because, I mean, they're too rigid right out of the box and they will mess up your feet. As far as boots... If we're going to get a little bit, you know, you want some advice on boots, I've gone through a lot of pairs. Something that fits, first of all, they got to fit. I really, really like Italian-made boots. And companies that come off the top of my mind, Kenetrix, it's a great, they make a Mountain Hunter Extreme that's a great boot. If that boot fit doesn't fit your foot perfectly, Scarpa and La Sportiva. And I'll tell you, all three of those boots are made in the same factory in Italy by the same people. Right, little different shape, little different material as far as composition, but the machine that made them is the same. And why Italian boots? Well, those guys have been building boots to climb the Alps for a lot longer than we've been building boots here. So I've run some other companies. I'm not going to run anybody in the in the ground, but I'll tell you, if you're looking for a, a new pair of boots, you want to upgrade Italian boots. I'm not going to, you know, there's Loa and Scarpa and Crispy and but Canatrex is right here in Montana. They have a myriad of them. They're all priced in that three to $500 range. Los Sportivas can get a little more expensive. That's what I'd wear if I was sheep hunting. And then there's a stiffness scale, right? Fives is a full plastic ski boot. I've never sheep hunted in full plastics. I don't feel the need to. The idea with full plastics is when you put a crampon style ice cleat on them, it, they, they perform and function great, right? I've worn them once or twice, not on hunts, just tried them on. I'm like, that's not for me. I need a little bit of flex. However, like on our sheep hunt, I wore Scarpas and they're a four and a half, almost a five out of five stiffness. And they have a steel shank running that whole boot. But when I'm elk hunting, I, I got Kenetrex on and they're like a three and a half. Now you can preference mid-calf, ankle, you know, that's more of a preference. I'm not going to say one's better than the other. If I'm like antelope hunting... I'm running around in sneakers, man. Yeah. I, I don't, <laughs> and you can laugh at me all you want. It's hot. I'm happy yeah. with my sneakers. Yeah. You want comfortable feet at that point. Although here in Wyoming, you do need to watch out for cactus. So you want to make sure that you're not going to have cactus coming through them. That would be a problem. Yes. But one of the other things that we don't talk about much that often gets overlooked for hunting prep is if you are going to be at high elevation in the sun, you need some sunscreen. I mean, that really is important because you do get fried. I know I was just up in the mountains, got fried. You're um, closer to the sun. Closer to the sun. But the other thing, too, is have water filtration. Have a way to get water because things happen. You may have a full water bottle to start your trek, but something can happen. You get stuck where you're at. You need a way to get water. So water is one of the most critical things. And then, of course, pack a way to make fire too. Um, I just always encourage people don't forget about those things. They seem like, Oh, well, I don't need that. I'm only going three miles. You might need it. And so it's good to have that in your day pack when you go out. So on the subject of water, when I worked for the outfitter, there were several streams I'd roll by, take my Nalgene, fill it up. I didn't purify it. Right. I drank out of that stream six months straight, never got sick for six years. However, now that I'm doing these adventure style hunts where I'm going to spot X for 10 days and I don't have 
the luxury to get sick and get giardia and get down I'm, it's going to it's going to ruin the whole thing right so anymore i don't trust water i purify and there's so many you've got life straw where you can suck it right through you've got hand pumps you've got uv sterilization you've got tablets you're just gonna have to try what works for you for me i've got a gravity filter and a hand filter i like both of those i take some tablets in a small bag in my first aid kit in case both of those were to break i can quickly purify some water why Beaver fever's no joke. You get dehydrated and get the runs. It's you're you're not going to be performing at, at your peak and enjoying your hunt anymore because you drank out of the wrong stream. And yes, there's a lot of guys out there. There's a lot of streams you can drink from. You get into Kodiak and Northern Brooks Range, Alaska, you can pretty well suck that water. Right? It's it's coming right out of the bottom of the glacier. I still just anymore. I treat all water the same and filter it. Yeah, it's called being wise and using your wits. Right? Be smart. Don't do anything that's dumb. <laughs> that's one of the things like, cause to your point, you get Giardia, you're done. You might as well wrap it up. Done. I've, I've talked to a couple people that got it. You, you're, you're done for at least a week, mm-hmm. but it's going to take a month or so to really get your body back up to full. And come on guys, there's only so many Septembers in a guy's li- life. I'm running out of them. They're, they're dwindling down. I'm on the downhill side of September and I don't want to take six weeks in the fall and try and be physically recovered from ill. So, you know, all of these things wrap up in culmination of being prepared, planning where you're going. What do I need? What's a backup? And it's, it comes down to common sense. I can't sit here and say, oh, that's a piece of garbage gear and you shouldn't have it. You should have this one for your specific application, i.e. an antelope hunt out here in the desert, a gallon jug in the back of the truck's probably all I'm taking for water filtration. I'm going for an afternoon hunt. I've put my Nalgene in my bladder in my backpack. I get back to the truck, there's one more gallon, and I'll go home and get more, right? Yeah. That, that doesn't work on a 20-day mountain goat hunt on Kodiak. Not going back and getting another gallon. So what works in spot A may not work in spot B, and you need to test and refine. and But you need to be able to quantify why you're using this and why it's better than, than B. So things like the ammunition in your gun, right? And some of these things, you can't have firsthand data, right? If you're going on your first deer hunt, you can't be like, oh, this bullet's better than this one. You have to kind of rely on a little bit of research. Most And go shoot those bullets to see which ones perform with your situation and setup. You can at least cut some of the learning curve out by starting with some premium ammunition that's sta- mm. you know at least labeled for the game you're after but i mean i think all these tips really like you said they culminate to help you get ready for the hunting season which is coming up really soon and we have lots of other previous podcasts that cover various portions of what we've already talked about if you want to learn about search and rescue and some of that you can go back to the episode we did with matt good from fremont county search and rescue and he talked about just different things you should be thinking about and things you should do we also talk about you know the prep and the care with brian tucker and others so we've got lots of information out there if you want to dig a little bit deeper into any of these if you were looking at it and thinking man I want to hear more about that. We have those episodes already out there. We certainly do. And we'll continue putting some more out on the, on the first aid rescue piece. The most important thing I'm going to say is when you've determined you are lost, if, if you, if whatever your primary defense was maps, compasses, GPSs, if it's, if it's failed you, you know, there's places in the world that, you know, nomenclature is follow a stream downstream. You'll find a road. It does not always work. 
Sometimes you might be going deeper in the wilderness and getting in more trouble. The best thing you could do is stop, figure out some shelter, make a game plan. You know, people start getting into panic mode and they make a small issue or or situation worse 10x by compounding. And, you know, say you nick, just when I nick a finger during a normal week of elk hunting, whether it was on a log, a stick, a knife, or what doesn't matter, when I go to start processing, that thumb hurts, and now I'm I am favoring that hand, and so now I'm, I'm actively doing things with a knife I normally wouldn't do if I have a small injury. Having spoken with search and rescue on fatality recovery cases, it typically starts out with something like a sprain or a break or a, a minor injury that leads to a major injury. Right. So that's that said, if you are lost, get your wits about you, stay put and figure out a rescue plan, whether that's there, there's there's lots of things you can do. I'm not going to go into all of them. That's that's now more into survival skills. Right. And you can you can take classes and courses on these smoke signals might work. They might not. Right. We have fires like we did the last two years. The smoke signal ain't going to help you at all. Right. <laughs> yeah. But I will say the uh, the difference in morale in the middle of the night when you're intentionally we've stayed out a couple times even the night that uh my wife harvested the moose that hangs here in the place i sent her and my father and my young oldest son but he was three at the time a mile and a half back to go get the vehicle and the road was 400 yards away i stuck put them on the right road knew they could walk back to the truck and drive the truck to us there was some four-wheel driving that had to be done but it wasn't extreme however i sent them right at dark so i went back and continued processing this moose solo and i just had visions of a grizzly bear sticking its nose through the uh, <laughs> head high alders all the way around me yep willows i guess and i just i went i had to hike up about 100 yards to find a dead tree and branches and some some red pine needles are awesome when you need to start a fire i started me a little fire about three yards away from that moose and you know it was just comforting to have a little bit of light a little bit of crackle and it's just a companion it gives you something to do it gives you warmth heat you know but you will spend in a in emergency situation to get enough fuel to keep a fire going all night you'll you're not sleeping right and so that's back to the survival stuff and i I like to have my puffy pants and coats and I can just <laughs> find a tree to curl under. I think it's good to go back over. So as you listen to this podcast, you're probably thinking, you know, is my gear ready? So I would just encourage you to go home, pull out the totes, pull out the bags, pull out your rifles, bows, whatever you're going to take hunting and just make sure you have a good game plan. Leave communication plan behind with your loved ones. Make sure someone knows where you're at, when you should come home. Make sure you pack provisions, safety gear, all those things. But I think that's a pretty good recap of everything we wanted to touch on today. 100%. That the other one is I've, I've saved one or two people with my horses that shot an elk somewhere they probably shouldn't have yep. without a good contingency plan. Exit strategy, guys. You got to make sure you can actually pack that sucker out. <laughs> it's And I wish everybody success out there in the field, but keep your wits about you. 
That's number one. Definitely go through your gear. And and I have run out of water more than once, and I have run out of headlight batteries or couldn't find my extra battery headlight (laughs) down in the bottom of my pack. So there's been two or three nights I've walked out of the woods with a buddy with no headlight, and it is miserable with elk in a backpack trying to walk behind somebody without your own headlight. And so anymore, and the reason I've ran out of water, even though I have a filtration, is I was only relying on my four-liter bladder. And so now I like to do is I have my bladder and with the hose, right? And you don't know when that's going to run out, but I really, it's convenient to just take, take a sip of water when you need it. So I run a Nalgene on my hip pouch of my backpack and I have another one in the bottom of my backpack. And why the one on my uh, hip pouch is I like to run a lot of kind of pre-workout energy stuff, mountain op style stuff, just a little kick me up and buzz, but you get to where you just need the water. So I like to have both of those. However, when the hip Nalgene's empty and then the bladder's empty, I know I've got one liter of water down in the bottom of my backpack. Yeah, it's heavy. I have an extra headlight, an extra set of batteries for the two headlights that are on me. In case I lose a headlight, I know I have another one with another battery. And then I've got that extra liter of water between the headlight and the water. If I have to, I'll say, see you later, Patrick. I know where the four-wheeler is or the truck, and I'm going to go find a tent and a sleeping bag. I'll, I'll be back tomorrow. Yep. Well, awesome. Well, on that... We're going to let you guys go. We'll come back with another episode here this next week. So be looking forward to that. But go home, check your gear. Jell will check your batteries. <laughs> Make sure that you have everything you need for your next trip. Thanks again for listening to the Radcast Outdoors podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed the show. If so, please go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast and subscribe, share, and give us a five-star rating, which really helps other people find the show. You can find all of our shows, recipes, giveaways, videos, and much more at radcastoutdoors.com. While you're there, please help support the show by purchasing a Radcast Outdoors shirt or hat. Please don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We also have a Radcast community on Facebook called Radcast Nation, and we'd love for you to join in the conversation there. And of course, please help support our sponsors who make this show possible. Thank you again to PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Until next time, get out there and enjoy the outdoors.